Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. Coming up next right here on the Parker J. Cole Show. edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. I know for some of you, it has been a while since I've done a live broadcast, but as some of you also know, I have been slowing down when I got sick last year, and it's been wonderful recovering and recuperating, but I was just so glad to have this opportunity to talk about current events, particularly the war between Russia and the Ukraine. It's a struggle for freedom. Thomas Jefferson once said that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. On February 24th, Russia attacked the Ukraine. Shock reigned throughout the Western world as we watch the war escalate. Along with the war, numerous theories, stories, videos, and reactions spread like wildfire. It makes us wonder, Why would we be so shocked that we are at war now? Why is the Western world taking this war in such a really visceral reaction to it? What caused this war to happen? If some of you were like me, you weren't very interested in geopolitical events, but now all of a sudden it's all you can think about. You're wondering what's going on with the people. Are they okay? What's going on with the Russians? What's going on with the Ukrainians? What does NATO have to do with all this? Where do we go back in time to discover what events led to this reaction? There's so much to this story, and I'm so glad that my good friend, Major Travis Perry, is with me today to discuss it. We're going to go ahead and take a quick short break, and when we come back, we're going to start our discussion on Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. If you want to weigh in on our conversation, all you have to do is call in at 646-668-8485 and press 1 to be live on air, or hit me on Twitter at Parker J. Cole, hashtag PJC Show, with your questions or comments. We'll be right back after these messages. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. Engaging the culture's imagination through speculative fiction, the Untold Podcast produces audio fiction from a Christian worldview. Find us over at untoldpodcast.com, where we partner with authors to tell science fiction, fantasy, supernatural, and horror stories. Find links at untoldpodcast.com to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, and a variety of other platforms. Each month we produce high-quality audio fiction that's free to download and free to listen. Our submissions are open, and we're always looking to add another great story to over 24 hours of narrative entertainment. Find all of our audio fiction over at www.untoldpodcast.com. The Speculative Fiction Cantina is your weekly hypodermic injection of science fiction, fantasy, horror, alternate history, and things weird and wonderful in the world of books and writers. You'll hear from writers who bend the rules and drive the narrative. We ask authors the hard questions. 
we do the show in our pajamas. Join us, Evan Townsend, on this journey over the rainbow and through the looking glass. The Speculative Fiction Cantina on Rightstream Radio every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. We're back, and you're listening to The Parker J. Gold Show. Hi, and welcome back to The Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for this live edition. Today, we're talking about Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. And if you're like me, you've probably been glued to all the news coming about regarding this war. As we watch as what Thomas Jefferson once said, that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And we definitely see both sides of the issue today day in the struggle for freedom. And I think most of us are having this visceral reaction because we're just so surprised that if no one likes war, why is there a war? Why weren't we aware of what was going on? Or were we aware, but we chose to ignore the signs? What's going to happen now? How has this shaped the geopolitical landmass, if you will, of politics with different countries? How come every country isn't on the side of Ukraine? There's so much more to this uh, conflict than we can really go delve into. So I brought my good friend, Major Travis Perry from the Army Reserve to help me untackle and untangle this topic. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Travis to our listeners today. Travis, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting you call me major, which is true. I'm an Army Reserve major. It's a little bit pertinent because um, we have some training that you have to do in, uh, to be promoted in, a, in the military from major to the next rank of lieutenant colonel. But I've been doing, and it does talk about Russia, Russian forces, some of the common core curriculum we've been doing. It talks about, I've just been recently reading quite a lot about Russia with that. But probably more significantly for me is that I, you know, I'm, I am, have an interest in military history, have a master's degree in history, and have studied um, Russian history in particular. Um, you know, not that I'm the mo- a renowned expert or anything like that, but I do know some things about Russian history and things they've done, and so I'm happy to share that um, the information I have with your audience. You volunteer for the position because I wouldn't know much about it anyway. <laughs> so I am learning right. about it. Something like this will have you digging into the history books to find out where do we get to this point. And history often shows us that human nature is very um, circular. Same thing has been happening, has been happening for a long time. Particularly with this particular conflict, we have the threat of nuclear war hanging in the air. Now, if it's going to come to that, we were pretty much 99.9% sure that it won't, but then we just don't know. And I know for a fact, when I first heard about this and how things began to escalate, I was afraid. I really was. And then my mother told me, when you get afraid, that means you're not relying on the Lord to take care of you. You're relying on people or weapons or something else to take care of you. So she put me back in the right frame of mind. But it did kind of terrify me a little bit to think that, we are on the brink of something I thought was lost to a bygone era, but it isn't. 
And that makes this conversation, I think, very prudent to our listeners out there. For our listeners, we're talking about Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. And if you want to weigh in on the conversation, you know you can. All you have to do is call in at 646-668-8485 and weigh in, press 1, to be live on air. Before I go into this particular historical context of Ukraine and Russia, go ahead and tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, I um, mentioned a couple of things already that, uh, you know, I'm an Army Reserve officer. I'm a, a writer of uh, speculative fiction, science fiction, and fantasy, Christian author, and uh, own a small publishing company, Bear Publications. Um, and um, I have uh, been working on, not finished, but a guy, a, a book called A Guide to um, the Speculative uh, Fiction Writer's Guide to Warfare, and uh, did a number of blog posts on it, and I, I do need to put together as a book. But, you know, I have talked about war in a uh, general way. Um, I'm also a veteran of wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, Gulf War, uh, and I've done different types of jobs. I was a medic at one time on us enlisted uh, as a military training advisor, and most recently I've been a civil affairs officer advising on humanitarian assistance type stuff. Well, I'm glad you put your credentials up front so people can know that you do have an informed opinion, which is very important in this topic because there is a lot of information going around that may be fake news um, and things of that nature that people are worried about because you talk to some people, they don't think the problem is a big deal. You think some people are saying the media is simply trying to control you. They're trying to make you think there's a war. So they have all this all these things going on around here. So I'm glad that you at least brought in your credentials so people can know that you do have an informed opinion. I want to start our conversation, Travis, by reading a comment that we received from David in Springdale, Arkansas. David, thank you so much for joining in the conversation. David said, it would be interesting to listen, and he said to this show, I hope in a historical context that you bring up the Ukrainian involvement during World War II with the German army fighting the Russians. Seems to be a strong segment of the population today that still favors the Nazi movement. And so, David, I want to thank you for your question, but I want to start off with, let's look back in the historical about where this confrontation or rather this conflict began. And we were almost have we have to go back to World War II and post World War II. Is that the accurate way to start from there or should we go a little bit further back, a little bit ahead? Tell us what you think about that. Right. I'm I'm gonna go further back, uh, but I'll I'll try to go quick through the further back part. Okay. So back in the very beginning of Russia we're talking about, you know, around the year one thousand AD, all right. So uh, Kiev was the beginning of the nucleus of what would become Russia. It was called Rus then, back R-U-S, and Kiev was the most important city. It was the first city to be converted to Christianity. Um, and, um, you know, what really changed Russia was that there was an invasion of the Mongolians, and they took uh, over a lot of Russia. But um, part of, um, you know, and again, sim- simplifying the story quite a bit, but especially the southern part of what had been kind of a united um, common culture with a common language came under the influence of Poland. And that's what we call today Ukraine was under Polish influence. So Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine has an, uh, more Catholics than most of the rest of Russia. The rest of Russia is Orthodox. Um, there are Orthodox uh, in, in Ukraine. But 
you know, but as the Russian Empire started to grow uh, under the power of Moscow, kind of there was a competition between Russian city states after the Mongolians left. We're talking a long time ago, 1300s, you know, but the the Moscow won out over other city states and started building this big empire. And one of the things they did is they incorporated Ukraine from a long time ago. Um, and they and they also, though, Russia wanted to have, uh, especially in the time of Peter the Great, you know, we're talking 1700s, um, was trying from that time on, Peter, um, Russia deci- decided that it wanted to have a port. Um, actually, you know, even before that, um, under Ivan the, the, the Great, Ivan the Terrible, they were trying to get a seaport because Russia, most of Russia doesn't have um, a place suitable for navies. And the Russians noticed that other European powers had powerful navies and they had to have good ports. Well, on the Baltic Sea, um, you know, they didn't even have a port at the time. Peter the Great made that happen. But it freezes over. Um, the Arctic Sea freezes over. And they didn't have access to the Black Sea historically. So they pushed down Russian soldiers' fought for really a couple hundred years trying to get a good access to the Black Sea. And the Black Sea is, you know, where Ukraine borders. And there's a peninsula there called the Crimean Peninsula that was taken by the Russian Empire. Okay, so this is all stuff that happened long before World War um, World War II or the 20th century. In the 20th century, um, Russia becomes communist in a, in a revolution. That um, communist revolution, of course, at the time, Ukraine's part of the um, Russian Empire, and people call it the Ukraine because it was a region of Russia, right? And um, as the Soviet Union gets started, and they incorporate Ukraine. But one of the things they decide to do is because they want the communist revolution to be for everyone, not just uh, Russians. They wanted to show, hey, we are an international movement. So they took places within the Soviet Union that had all been just part of Russia, the Russian Empire, and they made them into republics based on the predominant ethnicity there. So they created a, you know, an, uh, a, a Ukrainian, they called it the Soviet Socialist Republic. They, they did the Tajikistan and a, and a bunch of others not really thinking that that mattered because they didn't have any power anyway. The Soviets had all the power. All right, so, however, when the Soviets did take over, they were really brutally oppressive to certain kinds of people. In particular, they were oppressive to people who were successful farmers because they saw them as um, capitalists and they were anti-capitalists. They wanted to have collective farms. This particularly hit Ukraine hard because Ukraine is farmland. And so the Russians, uh, the Soviets really killed an awful lot of Ukrainians, and they caused a, um, a famine by killing off the successful farmers. They caused, and the collective farm, uh, forcing collective farms, they caused a massive famine. So when the, when the Germans invaded in World War II, which has its own reasons, right? It's a different thing. After taking Poland, um, the, the Germans invaded, and they um, made tried to sort of make friends with the Ukrainians. Actually, some people say they could have had Ukrainian loyalty if they'd treated them good, but they didn't. They pretty much treated them brutally like other places. But some Ukrainians joined the Germans against uh, the, the Russians, against the Soviets. But many did not. All right. So there were many great battles that happened during World War II between Ukraine and, uh, you know, uh, in the Ukraine region. Then it was called Ukraine, part of the Soviet Union, and the Germans. Some, some major battles, and some Ukrainians were on the side of the Germans, but not all were. Actually, some Russians were on the side of the Germans, so it, it really isn't quite that divided. 
but Ukraine has always been a little more Western-looking than the rest of, you know, than Russia, the rest of what was the Soviet Union. Anyway, so these, in 1991, when um, the Soviet Union collapsed, all those separate republics that were just kind of rubber stamp authorities, didn't have any real authority, all of a sudden they became real countries, independent countries. Russia was one of them. But for a good chunk of time, Russia still really influenced Ukraine. One of the things that started happening in the early part of this century, the 20th century, or 21st century, I mean, 2000s, the, uh, the Ukrainians started becoming more Western, more friendly to Poland, more friendly to Europe. And they start talking about things like, you know, leaving um, or joining NATO and not being friends with Russia so much anymore. And that, and, and that is what kind of has inspired a lot of this Russian stuff. After a couple hundred years of pushing down in the Black Sea, having a base in the Crimea, which had a majority of Russian speakers, Ukraine now is suddenly in between Russia and technically, Crimea is part of Ukraine. While well, the Russians are like in 2014, hey, no way. We want to have our port still. So they had a war um, with Ukraine back in, in 2014. They took the Crimea. They uh, formally annexed into Russia, but most countries don't recognize it. But it's all about ancient, long-term goals the Russians have had. They've been trying to get these ports. They're trying to supply them. Well, Crimea is kind of cut off from the rest of Russia, so what happens when the Ukrainians are not friendly to them? Well, the Russians want to have a land route that connects Crimea to the rest of Russia. So their, their reasons for going to war with Ukraine kind of make sense. It's really stuff that's been going on for hundreds of years. I'm surprised that people are so surprised, but people kind of imagine the world is different now because of the Internet and a number of other things, but it's not entirely different. So anyway, I'm going to pause there and let you ask a follow-up question. Uh, go ahead. Well, thank you for that history lesson, and I'm glad you went back as far as you did, because most of us, like you said, we're all in shock that this happened, but you kind of put into perspective that this has been going on for some time. We've just, it's gone in and out of our sphere of interest at different levels um, during history. So it was really good that you went back right. that far, and it kind of brings into some context of where this is coming from. In a number of articles that I've read, people have said that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin wants to have imperial Russia again, that that was his main goal. Would you say that is an accurate picture of what you think is going on with the Russian president? Yeah, I mean, we go back to 1991 was when the Soviet Union collapsed, okay? And when they collapsed, they had a socialist or really a command-driven economy. So that means somebody in the Kremlin and in Moscow would tell the companies how to run things. They didn't have private enterprise. So um, they tried to sell off some of the state um, enterprises. But what happened is a lot of it wound up going to friends of friends of people in the party. It was corrupt right away. And, you know, if you take people and give them – free enterprise, but they don't have any sense of morality. You don't think it's right or wrong to steal. You know, you see really kind of a, a big kind of gangster state. And Russia kind of collapsed economically, and they had a, a high uh, dose of criminal activity, uh, gangsters. I mean, they're infamous now, Russian gangsters, but that's not what was Russia was known for before. Russia immediately became, you know, some people call it a kleptocracy, where they're always stealing from each other and from everyone else. And, uh, you know, it's important to understand that Putin was a KGB officer who had you know, certain responsibilities, and he saw this collapse of Russia as being a tremendous disaster. 
that it was the worst thing that ever happened and that his long-term goal is to undo it to and yes to get russia back the russian empire back um but you know he wants it to be with um private enterprise russia does have some private enterprise but there's still a tremendous amount of corruption in russian private enterprise that's why the russian economy is the 11th largest in the world even though they have tremendous national resources and and things like that but but Putin is, you know, if you understand the context, the history, he's not um, irrational. He, he's making sense. He is trying to long-term make Russia strong. And he, um, you know, Russia never had a history of democracy um, other than one of its city-states, but that's another story. It's never had a history of democracy. And he is acting really kind of like a new czar, really, um, doing the same sorts of things a czar would do. And it's just a continuity of the past. Comments that I received from that question of, is Vladimir Putin crazy or methodical? Is Zelensky the underdog or fighting a lost cause? So he did get a couple of comments that I want to share with you and have you respond. The first comment is one, I'm not quite sure how to put it in the context of what we're talking about, but the uh, commenter name is Melanie says, Z is a, NWO puppet, that's all, a major drug addict. Enough of Melanie. Melanie, thank you for sharing your thoughts. And I want to talk about that because within this whole context of this conflict, there's a lot of a lot of information going on. They're saying that the war isn't real. They're saying that they're just making it up. The media is creating a war, all this different nature. And now this person is saying Z, meaning Zelensky, is a new world order puppet. So when you hear a comment like that, how would you respond to it? Well, first of all, let me talk about there not being a war. One of the things that's really different, so I talked about continuity. Russia's doing stuff that they've done before, and even them not doing so well. We haven't really talked about that yet, but they're not doing so well in the fight. But that's not new to Russians either. Historically, Russians have kind of been not the best soldiers, but they still win by sticking it out and just pouring in a lot of men. Um, now, But something has changed. What's changed is social media. And there's uh, still Internet connectivity in Ukraine. And we have – there's just a ton of evidence that there's a war going on. I mean, you can satellite zoom in and see some of these Russian columns moving. You can see the smoke rising. There's live cams. The, the amount of evidence is so tremendous. It's just, you know, it's a little – I mean, people are capable of thinking oh, just about anything. But to think this is a conspiracy theory is it's really ridiculous. There's I've done a little bit of the – YouTube surfing and seeing the evidence that's out there, there's no doubt this war is going on. And not only is it going on, you can find out a lot of things about it. Now, um, you can find out a lot more, a lot more easily from the Ukrainian point of view than you can the Russian. But you can still find out things about from the Russian point of view, too, if you go looking. So as far as New World Order, okay, um, well, Zelensky, um, you know, this brief background on him, he was a an actor, actually, kind of like Ronald Reagan a little bit in the United States, and he did a t- popular television series where you know he played the president uh, of Ukraine, a, a regular school teacher that got a- elected president. And then he, after that, he ran for president. I mean, he's relatively new to politics. Uh, he's new in his position, uh, relatively speaking, and and he has surprised people because. He's decided, well, if I'm going to, I guess, you know, if I'm going to be, I'm speculating a little bit, if he's going to be an actor, he's going to be a, play the part heroically, and he has been. He stood up, uh, you know, he could have run, um, you know, this happened 
in Afghanistan when Afghanistan was under collapse. The leader uh, of Afghanistan ran and covered his own butt, so to speak, and that, you know, triggered or inspired other people to surrender. And uh, by not surrendering, by standing up, um, Zelensky is, you know, being been a heroic figure. Now, is he part of the New World Order? Well, I mean, certainly Ukrainians want to be part of Europe. They want to be part of the European Union. They want to be part of NATO. And part of the reason they want to be is because of what happened in 2014. The Russians took Crimea. They know they're vulnerable. Uh, and so they've been asking, hey, can we join the European Union? Hey, can we join NATO? And if we want to say something bad about the West, it's because we've been saying to them back, so to speak, the United States and Europe, sure, sure, we'd like you to have you, but not now. <laughs> we'd like to have you, but not now. And so they've been like waiting to be admitted to the, the defense organization, NATO, or to the economic organization, European Union. And the people in other countries like United States and Germany are saying no, but then we won't tell Russia that they won't join. So the Russia has a reason to invade them, but we don't go to their defense. You know. So, but anyway, I don't. I, does that answer the question? Answer the. I think it does answer the question, Travis. And so, uh, Melanie, I really yeah. appreciate you joining the conversation. Now, Chrissy says. Uh, Putin is very methodical, but mysterious in some ways, too. He is also the more focused one. He has goals, and he has set it up where he has the time and tools he needs to get it done. He's won all of his previous challenges, and I won't be surprised when he proclaims himself czar by mandate by the mandate of heaven. And that is from Chrissy. Uh, thank you for joining in the conversation. What are your thoughts about her comment? Well, I don't know. If, I mean, he is, a, in effect, the czar. He, he really is. But he doesn't. Ha- I don't know that he needs to be declared the czar. He's he's okay with you know keeping some things secret. You know what I mean? And, and behind the scenes. So the the real problem though that's different between him and a czar is who's going to take his place. You know, at the end of his life, the czar has somebody that's already picked the the prince. Right? Um, he doesn't have a prince. So I don't know how, what his plan is there. But I'm pretty sure he has a plan. He has plans for most things. And this invasion he had plans for, but it's it's important to say, as much as he had plans and he's methodical, this is not, in my uh, opinion at all, insane. It, it's a continuation of Russian policy for centuries to maintain a Black Sea uh, port. But one of the things that's different is that he modernized the Russian military, right, and bought a bunch of new Russian military equipment. The Soviet doctrine was to have a vast amount of cheap material and the Russians under Putin have had, um, you know, they observed, first of all, in the, in the Gulf War that I participated in, that um, U.S. military equipment was far superior to Russian equipment that the Iraqis were using. And they didn't want to have their equipment be so inferior. So they've been trying to upgrade and get their stuff more modernized. However, what's evident in, in what we see the Russian troops doing is as much as they've modernized equipment, they haven't put sufficient money into training troops, that the troops know how to use the equipment they have, and they haven't put sufficient money into maintenance because stuff is just breaking down um, without because it hasn't been taken care of. Stuff is running out of fuel because they haven't planned their logistics uh, well enough. And so their lack of supply, their lack of training, their lack of maintenance is coming to bite them in the butt. And I, I think that uh, Putin believed that he had an army that would be able to crush uh, Ukraine quickly, and he found out that he does not, and I, I think he's very unhappy about that. Um, you know, so, but I still think the Russians, in my opinion, have the ability to win the war, but it depends on what they're willing to do. 
um, and I'm not a completely sure they will win. But there, you know, anyway, I'm just saying that that is is Putin methodical. Yes, is he going to be czar? Um, not necessarily in name, but he's in you know de facto the czar. Um, anyway, I hope that answers the question. Comment before we go to break is from Laura in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Laura says Putin is crazy and methodical. Zelensky is the underdog, and it seems he's fighting a lost cause. Those descriptions do not exclude each other. Laura, thank you so much for joining in the conversation. Travis? I don't know that Zelensky is fighting a lost cause necessarily. I, I say this because I've been watching the way the Russians advanced, and it, they've come to a halt. It, it kind of depends on things that I don't know the answer to. Like, you know, there is the old way, the old school. Their fancy new equipment to do a quick strike didn't work. Well, there's just, a, you know, surrounding a place, starve them out, do a siege, blast them with heavy artillery until everything's flattened out. Like they, I mean, they've fought this way before. Um, they're capable of doing it. They did it in Chechnya. They're able to do this in, you know, but do they have enough munitions to keep firing? Do they have enough? I don't know the answer to that question. So Zelensky may not be um, facing a lost cause, but it does, I mean, honestly, it does look a little bit grim for the Ukrainians. The news, even though the Russians aren't advancing as quickly as they like, they have taken a big chunk of Ukraine. Um, a lot of the reporting talks about all the losses the Russians have had, but the Ukrainians have had many losses, a lot of uh, equipment destroyed, a lot of people killed, and the Russians are still there. They're, the Ukrainians do counterattacks, but if you follow the maps, which I have been, no, uh, at no point have the Russians been driven back by any Ukrainian counterattack. So the Ukrainians are fighting, but they're not, you know, they are in trouble. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, anyway. Talking to, we are talking today to Major Travis Perry of the Army Reserve. If we talk about Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom, I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I am. And if you want to weigh in on our topic, you know you can. All you have to do is call in at 646-668-8485, then press 1 to be live on air, or hit me on Twitter at Parker J. Cole, hashtag PJC Show, with your questions or comments. We're going to go ahead and take a quick short break. We'll be right back after these messages. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. Are you an indie author looking to create audiobooks listeners will love? At The Audio Flow, we handle the entire process, from casting the perfect voice to distribution. Contact us today at 317-927-8770. The Audio Flow, a new way to do audio. How do fantasy and sci-fi help make us into better people? And how can Christians best glorify our Lord Jesus Christ as we enjoy these stories? Also, where can you find the best fantastical Christian novels? Yes, they do exist, and we know exactly where to find them. From the creators of Lorehaven Magazine and from biblical Christian storytellers around the world comes a new podcast for readers of amazing stories. We call it Fantastical Truth. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. And I'm Zachary Russell. Our mission is to find biblical truth in fantastic stories. We apply the wonders of these imaginary worlds to the real world our creator has called us to serve. Toward that chief end, we will find the best novels by Christian authors, fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. Together, we will explore these stories in light of the gospel, 
and will join these authors and other creative friends on this joyful journey to find the happiness and holiness of Jesus by exploring his gift of truthful imagination. Please subscribe at lorehaven.com or on podcast players everywhere. Join us in this eternal quest to seek and find fantastical truth. If you are an author looking to gain visibility for your books, then Authorshout.com is the place to go. We have a wide variety of affordable products and services to include a member zone that will help you get the word out about your books. Our team here at Authorshout.com specializes in creating stunning digital products to include book banners, teaser videos, book trailers, book covers, and a whole lot more. So what are you waiting for? Stop by Authorshout.com today and let our team connect you with a world of new readers. We're back and you're listening to The Parker J. Cole Show. Hi and welcome back to The Parker J. Cole Show. We are talking about Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. And with me to help unpack this topic is my guest co-host and contributor today, Major Travis Perry of the Army Reserves. Before the break, we went into a historical context that goes back thousands of years to 1000 AD. And Travis walked us through as briefly as he could, but as concisely as he could as well, about the history between Ukraine and Russia and that whole area of the world. And then he went into how there's a pattern of behavior when it comes to Russia and how they go to war and things of that nature. It's not that he necessarily agrees with it, but he is an observer of these things. And to give more insight, it's always good to try to look at the historical context of these conflicts. One thing that Travis said that I think was very important is that why are we so shocked when this has been happening for some time? It's just a pattern of behavior. And I think for most of us, we feel as if, why would anyone want to go to war in this day and age? But it lets us know, too, that the human heart rarely changes. And so, Travis, thank you so much for being with me on the show today to unpack this topic. And I want to shift the conversation now to NATO. One of the things I discovered as I started to look into this thing was NATO. And NATO has a huge impact I was noticing that there were other countries who had at the time been on the fence or wanted to remain neutral, now suddenly want to be a part of NATO. And another article I read stated that this has really caused the U.S., the U.K., and the rest of Europe to really come closer together in terms of a uh, in a geopolitical way to kind of really merge their missions together. One of the things that many many countries in the West did was put lots of sanctions on Russia. And these aren't easy sanctions. They are crushing sanctions, which is really severely affecting the Russian economy. Another thing has been to round up, if you will, the Ogliarts. Of Russian uh, of the Russians as well and Ogliart, I would love for you to go into that uh, as we continue to talk about this. But there's a lot of things going on here. So why is NATO so important to this conflict? One of the things that President Zelensky is doing is asking NATO to issue a no-fly zone. But NATO says we can't. If we do that, we are doing a direct conflict with Russia. And so the war continues. So I would love to get your thoughts on these various developments going on right now. 
to talk about NATO, just a quick, a quick history. Um, after World War II, um, the Russians, the Soviet Union, um, had uh, control of most of Eastern Europe. In Western Europe, um, you know, at, at first, uh, Russia was a, a, a Soviet Union was an ally against Germany, and uh, many, uh, not everybody, uh, some people didn't trust them ever, but some people did trust them. But then they started doing some untrustworthy things. They took away rights of people in countries like Hungary and um, Czechoslovakia. And so, um, you know, Winston Churchill gave the famous speech, an iron curtain descended on Eastern Europe. So Western um, European countries um, responded by creating a military alliance led by the United States, including Canada, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's what NATO stands for. The United States is a leader, and most European countries are members. Now, um, after World War, um, I mean, after you know World War II, this is the the main alliance. France uh, partly withdrew from the alliance. Uh, it's still part of NATO, but didn't allow um, other, you know, didn't train with other units. Kind of maintained French independence. Um, in 1991, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's still a lot of people that feared uh, Russia. Uh, so you know, then Russia, the former Soviet Union, they feared Russia because Russia had nuclear uh, weapons and uh, nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. So there are a number of uh, nations that petitioned to join NATO that had been part of the, the Soviet side, the Warsaw Pact, and uh, that included Poland, including Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, um, included um, you know, Hungary, uh, Czech Republic, and you know, these countries wanted to be in NATO, and they got admitted to NATO. So NATO has pushed toward um, the east over time, and um, you know, Russia doesn't want Ukraine to be in NATO. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I wish – my thoughts are I wish that the uh, United States – I support – again, you know, I'm trying to explain the Russian perspective. As you pointed out, maybe it sounds like I'm pro-Russian. Uh, I'm not. I just understand them. Um, you know, I'm in favor of the democracy in Kiev. I, I think I was saying Kiev before, the way the Russians pronounce the name of the city. But Kiev, I'm in, you know, in favor of the fact they're democratic, that they want to have freedom. I, um, is it a perfect country? No. Is it a perfect system? Absolutely not. But you know, I'm I'm for them. I, I wish that what would happen is we supported them uh, when things look bad, like the Russians are going to invade. We just put some troops in there. Say, hey, we're doing a training mission. We're going to put a bunch of troops in there, and then that way, if, if the Russians would know if they attack, they'd be risking killing Americans, which would probably have deterred them. But instead, we just kind of sit in advance. No, all we're going to do is sanctions. And yes, they're very tough sanctions, but. That is not something that Russia was afraid of. They're ready for the sanctions. They're not ready for how the military victory didn't come along the way they wanted. They are, I don't believe they're ready for that. I think there's a lot of evidence they weren't ready for that, but they were ready for the sanctions. They, the biggest thing they've got going for them with the sanctions is that they have a connection to China, and China has not cut them off. India has not cut them off. Indonesia has not cut them off. Some other nations, you know, because of the SWIFT system and stuff that's technical we don't have to get into, it causes Russia some difficulty. They can't trade in dollars, but they can trade in yuan, uh, yuan the, the Chinese money. They can do that, and they are doing it. So, yes, Russia is suffering. Average Russians are suffering, but Russia is not going to collapse economically. Um, but <laughs> unless you know, they can't uh, pull it out militarily, that they don't have sufficient military supplies, resources, ammunition to continue the war. Now, that could cause them to collapse, but, um, but anyway – so the, the sanctions are tough. Um, NATO um, didn't want Ukraine in, in part, because they were afraid there would be a war with Russia. We don't want it to come to an, a nuclear war between Russia. And now, now that Russia is in Ukraine, I am in agreement with 
not having a no-fly zone. Because to have a no-fly zone, that means you'd have to put NATO planes over, and mostly United States planes, over Ukraine. You'd have to go looking for Russians flying over the, the area. You'd have to shoot them down. You'd also have to shoot down Russian anti-air, um, you know, air um, ground-to-air attack missiles, which means you have to be going out attacking Russians directly. Look, if you're attacking Russians directly, you're attacking them, uh, that's just inviting nuclear war. I don't think there's a great risk of nuclear war, but a no-fly zone would greatly, vastly increase that chance. So that's why we don't do it. I think we should have done it the other way. We should have put our own troops in Ukraine when the Russians were threatening, and then they would have to face the consequences of maybe a nuclear war if they invaded, and they maybe wouldn't have invaded in that case. But, but anyway, that's my thoughts on that sub, sub, those subjects. About China for a minute, because we've seen over the years China has risen as a superpower itself, and there seems, from my, and my, I don't really understand all these things, so I'm coming from a place of ignorance that I hope you can help me uh, get more knowledgeable about. This whole thing with China really adds a certain intrigue. Maybe that's not the best word, but it adds something to the pot boiling here because now you have China helping Russia and other countries as well, and they're basically saying, we're going to help you, Russia, and I have a vision of, you know, China rubbing Russia's back. You know, we got you covered. What's that all about? Well, I mean, I don't think China really wants to help Russia, or uh, they do want to help Russia, but they don't want it to be public. They want it to be to act like they're upset about things, but then they don't really want to do anything. Um, there's some th- realities. Uh, one of the realities is that China still burns a lot of coal uh, for their electricity. Um, that um, coal, most of the, uh, the coal that China, or a lot of the coal that China burns comes from Russia. Uh, China buys Russian gasoline. Um, and Russia um, has a number of hydroelectric dams near the border of Russia and China in Siberia. And Russia exports uh, excess electricity to China. So China gets a lot of resources from Russia all the time. And not only that, other resources like metals and things like that, a lot of the things manufactured in China are they basically are using Russian um, oil or Russian uh, metals, and they're, they're built in China and then sold to the West. So, you know, it's... Uh, a lot of the stuff that we're buying, it's made in China. Yes, it's made in China, but it came from Russian resources. So China and Russia have a really close economic alliance. It's not as close maybe as Russia would like it um, because China is able, could uh, substitute Russian supplies elsewhere, but they don't want to. It would hurt them. And they also want to defy us over Taiwan. That's an important issue for um, for China. They they want the the United States to be in a weakened position because they would like to have Taiwan for themselves. And that's another possible war in the future. China could invade Taiwan, and, and they're hoping you know, and that things work out for Russia. But at the same time, they don't want us to get mad at Russia and probably are a little surprised by how strong the sanctions are, and they don't want anybody to put sanctions against them. So they're playing it both sides. You know, oh, Russia, Russia, you know, you're bad. Don't invade other countries. That's, you know, they've, they've sort of said that. Not exactly, not directly, but they've made it sound like they're not, they don't entirely improve, but they're not putting any sanctions on, on Russia, and they're not going to. The, there are other nations, though, that aren't either, and I'm a little bit surprised at some of the other nations, like India. Uh, India, who is kind of a, an opponent of China in the, their region, I would think they would maybe join the West. But they haven't. They have said, no, you know, we're, we refuse to, uh, to engage in this issue. We're going to be totally neutral. So therefore, they're helping um, Russia. 
and so, yeah, it's economically, Russia is also because of all the oil they had. They had a lot of money, and most nations like the United States are better nations overall, some total. While Russia does have foreign debt, their sum total have more money stored away than they have in debt. So actually they have coffers they can go to and pull out money to pay for things. So uh, the question is, you know, if they run out of ammo and they don't have it, the rumor is, or it's been reported, that they've asked China to supply them military equipment. Will China supply them military equipment? Maybe that might be a step too far for China. And if they don't, then what happens? I mean, that's a an interesting question, but anyway, I hope that it kind of explained the relationship between Russia and China. Back and look at some of the deeper issues that's going on here. I think one of the reasons why people are steadily behind Ukraine is because what is happening is at the end of the day, it's a struggle for freedom. And people are looking, I know for myself, with our church, with our missionary partners we have in Ukraine, you know, the pastor told us, and I shared on my Facebook, the pastor said, you know, it's war. And that's kind of his fatalistic view. Not that he doesn't believe that the Lord will protect his people and his church and all, the, and all that, but he said it's war. And you're, you you kind of look at this whole scenario, not saying that the Ukraine was perfect because it wasn't, not saying that Russia is totally this evil uh, thing going on because that's not the case either, but you're struggling for freedom to be independent. Why do you think that is what's really striking people in the heart. And I think it's making people realize, like, what if some other invading force is coming over here to change my way of life? Would I be willing to pick up arms and protect it? So I would love to get your thoughts on that, particularly since you've been in active combat before. Um, I think the thing that, um, you know, I, I have explained what Russia does or did or tried to explain it anyway, and it makes sense to me. Um, what Russia's doing. So I don't think Putin is crazy, though I think he's potentially very dangerous, especially if he starts to lose, right, and he can't win, because he's got to have, I mean, his uh, position in Russia is dependent on him winning, uh, at least to some degree. So if he actually lost the war, I don't know, that could be very dangerous. But but anyway, to go back uh, to the, but I still think, even though I explain Russia, I think what they're doing is evil. It's not right to take another country over uh, just because you, you know, you want to be able to provide for yourself to uh, basically say that um, the, the country's um, national interest, the interest of being a strong country that can face off other countries is more important than human lives. Uh, you know, that it, it's a decision that countries have made over and over again throughout history uh, and you might think that countries are done with those kind of calc uh, calculations, but they are not. And so Russia is, you know, I understand it, but it doesn't make it good. You know, they're trying to take – and the thing about it is the Ukrainians are on, you know, YouTube. They're on uh, a number of different uh, online forums, so they're visible. and We can see them fighting. And one of the things, too, is that the Ukrainian military, even though they really got mangled in 2014, which is, I think, what Putin was expecting again, that they would get mangled. He'd have an easy victory because he did in 2014. They've gotten tougher. They've trained more. They've gotten help from NATO, even though NATO didn't let them join. NATO members went over there, trained them, gave them some weapons, some key weapons. But a lot of Ukrainian weapons are old. Their average battle tank is a T-64, which is, you know, a 1964 model tank made in the Soviet Union. It's not, not that it's not a, you know, a terrible tank, but it's a long way from modern. And the, and, the, and the Russians have stuff much newer, much more advanced, much better fighter planes, 
the Ukrainians are flying, flying MiG-28s that were, I mean, MiG-29s that are from the 1980s, and the, and, you know, the Russians are flying newer stuff. And so it looks, it's like kind of a David and Goliath story. You know, 44 million in Ukraine against 160 million in Russia. Russians have newer equipment. You know, we're all kind of rooting for the underdog, and I get it. And and also we're rooting for them because, you know, we want them, We you know, we see these heroic statements out of um, President Zelensky, and he sounds like he's really, you know, trying to get his country to do a good thing, to, to, to protect them, to help them, that he's compassionate, humane, he's, you know, hitting all the right notes in his speeches and so forth. And you, you see Putin, he's, you know, looks pretty sinister. He is pretty sinister. He's a calculating mind playing a chess game of how is it I'm going to make Russia the most powerful nation in the world in 20 years. You know, this is what he's trying to do. Um, you know, it's a straightforward, selfish, um, selfish ambition, even though it makes sense, even though he is intelligent. Um, but, you know, it's, it's good in a way the Russians are failing. Uh, and I say in a way because the, I worry what will happen next if they do really fail. What will they try next? Because they're not done. You know, as long as Putin is alive, Russia is going to still try to get the victory in this situation. So um, anyway, I hope that kind of answers the point you raised. Another thing people were talking about, they were saying that there was a Ogliart who put a hit or a bounty out on President Putin. I think you heard about that. And there are people thinking that's what's going to happen. But I'm under the impression that he's very well protected and that there were also uh, assassination threats on President Zelensky. How true is that information? Well, I mean, I know the Russians have assassinated people. There are many well-known, well-documented cases where the Russians have assassinated people. So, yeah, certainly they're trying to assassinate Zelensky. And one of the questions is, um, you know, the Russians are not afraid to do what we would call play dirty, you know, and obliterate whole towns. Uh, the question is how dirty are they going to get? Are they going to use chemical weapons? Um, you know, we don't know. Uh, they might. Uh, they're, I think they're capable of it. And some people might react, well, that's insane. Well, it isn't. It's, it's unfortunately not insane. People are able to make cold, calculating decisions to decide to do stuff like that. So I'm sure the Russians are trying to kill Zelensky. Now, would somebody try to kill uh, Putin? Uh, hey, there's been a Russian revolution before, right? Uh, it happened uh, that, when the, the Soviets took over. But, I, I, you know, when you, uh, from what I'm able to hear about what's going on in Russia, most Russians don't get a lot of exposure to outside news or what's going on, and most people still support Putin, um, even though things are going badly, even though things are kind of messed up. And uh, it could change, but I don't think there's any real danger right now of Putin being assassinated by anyone. My next question has to do with how uh, the U.S. is changing policy because of this war. And one thing I was thinking about, just as I remember your numerous articles that you did about speculative fiction and warfare, and I just see the applications in the real life now. Because, again, this is, for me, to even, for me, it's just new. And I know that sounds really weird because war hasn't gone on for, since people right. have been alive, you know. But I just right. see how is that going to change U.S. politics as it relates to our foreign policy? In your well, it's a really interesting uh, question. It's a really interesting question because 
there are people who are convinced, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that there really is no war going on, that this is just a conspiracy, that people are trying to stir up a war to get us involved. But actually, the, the Biden administration, President Biden, has very clearly signaled that he's not going to go to war. In fact, I have complained in this uh, you know, broadcast that I think that was a mistake, and not that he should have rushed to war, but he should have said, oh, well, let's put some troops on the ground and be ambiguous, and maybe that would have prevented the war. But by saying clearly we will not fight over this, I think he gave um, the Russians a green light. And even though the sanctions are tough, I, I still think – um, you know, there's a green light. But, I mean, um, do, you know, the U.S. policy, what's, what's going to change? Well, one of the things that's happened, as you mentioned earlier, there's a strengthening in NATO. Some countries that have not been in NATO that have been in the area, like Sweden and Finland, have thought about joining NATO uh, very seriously after this. Uh, maybe they will join. Maybe uh, in the end, if Ukraine, you know, wins this fight, NATO, NATO will in, incorporate Ukraine eventually. Um, though that's really hard to imagine. Uh, it seems like the Russians are going to insist that Ukraine promises not to join. Um, but it's, I don't know, the U.S. policy, foreign policy, kind of has shifted to a more focus on Russia, but I kind of tend to think, you know, it's the um, the reaction to the moment. That's how people tend to be. They really live in the moment a lot. They think about what's going on right now. And there's a whole bunch of other things going on in the world, including probably, most importantly, China. You know, China is an important support to Russia. China has a bigger military than Russia. China has more economic power than Russia. And China is opposed to the United States in some important ways. So... Um, I, I hope that our government doesn't get single focused on Russia to forget about um, problems with China or potential problems. Um, but I don't, I don't um, see yet any big changes in uh, our um, foreign policy. Really, we're just more aware of it. People like yourself are more aware of stuff that we've been talking about. But it's kind of the same sort of thing. For us, it's different for Europeans. Europeans have now are like more serious about NATO. Uh, Germany decided to spend to um, vote for a massive increase in military spending because for a long time they've been just kind of sitting under the United States umbrella, and now Europe is um, arming a lot more than they ever did before. That might have important long-term consequences in the world, including with U.S. policy. But U.S. policy hasn't changed a bunch because of this other aspects that this war has brought out. There was a lot of backlash recently about the international journalists who were reporting this conflict. And there were also other stories how in, in the midst of this war, there was racism being displayed against people of color and other ethnicities who were in the Ukraine, um, Chinese, black, some other ones. There is also the journalists who were making comments that um, it's people like us. They're white, Christian, blue-eyed, look like us. And then some of the Middle Eastern critiques are like, really? You know, there was just a lot of that. Let's get your, I know it's your opinion, so let me just get your thoughts about that. Because it seems to me, why would that be important when we have bombs falling from the sky? And why did it even make and rear its head during this time? Well, I, I think, um, you know, there are um, people who want to explain everything in uh, simple terms, right? And uh, in the United States, there's some historic injustices that happened in the U.S. that were very much based 
on race, or race was an important factor, maybe not the only factor. Actually, definitely not the only factor. It depends on what we're talking about. There was religious discrimination, for example, in U.S. history. There was non-racial uh, and other kinds of you know things that happened. But but it's easy to there's been injustice based on race, right? Uh, most importantly, most prominently, slavery, but not just slavery. What happened to American Indians uh, that was based on them not being white Americans and, or being from a different culture or being in competition with the government of the United States? Okay, so we so sometimes we take that model of thinking of things and apply it to the world, and it, it doesn't apply to the world. It's not about race. Even you know, I know I've heard I heard one of the reports about you know African students trying to leave Ukraine, but this is really a tiny percentage of people. Um, you know, there are not very many African students in Ukraine, and um, they may have had some harassment as they tried to cross the border. Um, I don't know for sure what happened there, but it's not a, the most important story going on. The most important, you know, reality is Russia is trying to conquer another nation that looks rather like them. Russia is accusing them of being Nazis, um, you know, and of course the Ukrainians have a lot of terrible things to say about the Russians about that are fair, uh, <laughs> that what the Russians are doing, and just that things happen uh, in the world that aren't based on race. People have been killing each other for a long time in Europe, and they didn't, you know, check their skin color before they started attacking. They had other reasons. And it's also true that people can have other reasons for doing things, you know, in good old USA. So I hope that – does that help at all? Interesting. It's an interesting uh, thing. Uh, for me, I was just really upset when I heard about it because I'm thinking to myself, can you hate me after I get out of the country? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, you know. Like, can you hate me later? Just hate me later. Let me just get out of here. And so there was a lot of that going on, and it was kind of disheartening that here we are in this moment, and we're still dealing with this little micro, this microism, you know. We have the bigger thing, like yeah. the bombs falling. And one of the things that was really disheartening was to see the video that Zelensky shared with, uh, I think, Congress. I'm, I may be saying it wrong, um, Travis, because I was working, but uh, Congress. Right. And he showed all the bombing that was happening in the city, children dying, right. getting um, mutilated. Yeah. It just it just crushed your heart, you know. But then someone said, why is it that we are so concerned with what's going on in the Ukraine now? And why weren't we making all of this hoopla? about the Middle East. And I think that's a valid question. Why is that so valid? And you know, I think it's valid because I know for a fact for me, and it wasn't just just me, I just, I don't know, I was just in the fog, I guess, because now I'm very much interested in what's going on, not just with the Ukraine, but with other areas of the world now. So why, why, why is that? What, what, why did we have such a distance from the war-torn Middle East? I know you haven't, obviously, um, but why the general public have that here in the West and why are we reacting so viscerally to the Ukraine is because it is the West, you know, it is Europe. It is somewhere somewhat quote unquote closer to home. You know, why are we suddenly awake? Um, I have a couple answers to that. And one of it might be some kind of, um, well, there's, I, well, let's say first off, I'm not completely sure. Okay, I'm not completely sure why things are different, but I have some. Guess. No, that's just your opinion. Uh, You're not trying to make guess. it. Yeah, my, my my guess yeah. is one is that um, Ukraine is well connected to the internet, and first of all, internet has advanced since the days of the 2003 invasion of Iraq or the 2001 invasion of Afghanistan. And well, Afghanistan during the time that the United States was there did, you know, advance their cell phone network and so so, so forth. They really didn't have. They were not a wired 
country overall. So there wasn't a ton of stuff getting poured on online. I mean, there was stuff. There was. But it wasn't as much as what's happening in Ukraine. There's just a, a massive body of people you know, with their smartphones showing Ukrainians what's going on. It's just a, an immense amount of information dumped online. And since that information is accessible, I think that's a lot of why people are reacting, because they are exposed to it. Okay, that's one issue. There's a lot more exposure. Two, second issue, though, it, it is. There's kind of a presumption, hey, it's Europe. Europe is past this. We're better. You know, this this kind of maybe, I, I don't know, I, mean, I, I might call it a European swagger, you know, that Europe has passed this kind of problem. We've learned our lessons from World War II. We'll never do this again. Uh, is that really true? Well, you know, obviously it, it wasn't that hard to figure out that that's not true. The The Russians have had small wars ever since they, the Soviet Union broke up. There's a series of them. They were fighting in Chechnya. They fought against Georgia. They fought within a place called Dagestan inside their own country. They, they you know, they've been fighting in 2014 in Ukraine, this is not new. It's, it, to expect things would be different or things have become different because it's the 21st century is ludicrous. But some people, I think, really did think that, or oh, the world is different now. No, it isn't. I mean, some aspects are different, and one aspect is of how much information we have. That's one thing that's different. Um, and another thing, I have my own you know, unique uh, perspective in the Middle East, uh, and maybe not everybody would agree with this. There, I know a lot of people say, hey, that was just about – you know, the military-industrial complex and um, selling weapons and so forth. Um, I feel, I was there in both Iraq and Afghanistan, that there were genuine reasons to be in each country. There were genuine opportunities for success uh, and that failures happened because of poor decisions, not because they was doomed to failure from the beginning. I don't believe that about either one of those wars. That's my opinion. So I um, I cared, as you said, about the Middle East uh, the entire time and was following it as much as I could the entire time. So I am a little bit surprised at people making so much of a bigger deal about Ukraine. And because it surprises me, uh, that's an indicator that I can't explain it. Um, people, I am not the typical follower of this kind of war. I was following it for a long time and knew uh, that this could happen. I'm glad you mentioned that, like I said, because you, you, even before this all happened, it's interesting because I uh, called you probably, what, three, three, four weeks before it happened. I said, just give me a quick history <laughs> about what's going on here because yeah. I can remember the reports right. before this happened saying, hey, Ukraine, Russia's going to come get y'all. Hey, Ukraine, Russia's coming. Yeah. I remember seeing those reports. And I think, and I may be wrong, I think Zelensky may have known about it, but he didn't think it would actually happen. Was there something of that nature? Maybe he didn't take it seriously? Because I know that things were leaked, like, hey, they're building up their army over there. Hey, this is going to go down. And I think that's what happened. Uh, and wasn't until much later when he realized that this is going to be a thing, you know. And I think war, interestingly enough, war does bring out the real person inside. One thing you said is that Zelensky, as he's heading the Ukraine, um, he's talking good. As you say, he's coming off very heroic, you know, and when he was yeah. offered a chance to leave, he didn't leave, which is a, kind of like an insult, if you will, uh, when that happened. It didn't look right. good at all. But um, 
at the same time, you kind of look and so many people are like, wow, now it's like the Ukraine, Ukraine, you stand with Ukraine and all this type of thing, which would have been different back in 2001 and 2003 during those different conflicts. We we were not as connected as we are now. So maybe there is something to what you just said there. It makes me read Ecclesiastes 1.9. I'm going to read from KJV. The things that have been done, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. And it just kind of has kind of almost depressing. (laughs) Like the same thing that's been happening will continue to happen, just happening to new people, a new generation, you know. And uh, I wanted to talk about this because some people were saying, wow, back in World War II, we were talking about nuclear war. Now here in 2022, we're talking about nuclear war. Does this ever change? And it's kind of, it kind of gets depressing a little bit, you know, that human nature is still human nature, no matter how, quote, unquote, far we've come. But what is the encouragement that we can take from all of this, Travis, with the misinformation going about? I want to read a quick comment we got from David again in Arkansas. David said, it is very hard to get an accurate picture of what exactly is going on in the Ukraine. There are so many fake news, bad photos, bad reporting, and tons of bias on both sides. It's difficult to get an honest picture of what is going on. And David, thank you for responding to our comment. But you already spoke to that, saying that you can look and see what's going on. You can get live, almost, I don't know if you get live satellite feed, but you can go online and see what's happening and look at it for yourself. But how, what kind of encouragement can you give us throughout this? Because there are people really worried about this conflict. Uh, point in case, um, Travis, before you go on, point in case there was a journalist who was upset that people were reading fiction. She said, how can you be reading fiction with all that's going on in the world? And of course, she got a lot of backlash from that. She said, I'm reading nonfiction because I want to know how do we get here? And I was thinking to myself, why shouldn't people want to get away from the rigors of the day? You know what I mean? So, what hope can we find from this? What encouragement can we find from this, even in this very dark place, not just for uh, the Ukraine and even for Russia? There are people in Russia who are finding out what's going on, and they're really upset about it. Not just for the, the countries involved who are taking sides. Not just for that, but how can we find hope in this situation? Um yeah, one of the things that's different, okay, and you brought up Ecclesiastes, how things haven't changed, and of course wars haven't changed. I mean, there's war, but war is different in that how much information we have about it. And uh, your um, commentator um, pointed out there's a lot of disinformation, and there is. There's a lot of different disinformation. There's so much information, it's information overload. It's hard to sort out what's disinformation from good information. I think it can be done. I mean, I think I uh, have have done some, but... But anyway, that whole thing that the war is being so uh, well-known, so public, and people see so much of it, maybe that's going to be a good thing in the end. Maybe it'll be be a deterrent to war after all. I I mean, I kind of think – I'm skeptical. I tend to go in the historical line that the Russians are going to do what the Russians have always done. Um, But – that's a historian talking. That's historians think maybe things have actually changed a little bit. Maybe having so much online, the Russians will not be as brutal as they have been at one time because it'll be, you know, they were afraid to be reported. So that's one maybe small bit of hope. Maybe things will be slightly better because of the internet. Maybe 
you know. But another hope is, and this is also this is based firmly on history that I referred to. Hey, all wars come to an end. You know, sooner or later it comes to an end. The killing is going to stop. Um, you know, um, and we can hope because the Russians have been acting in lines with historic things they've done for a long time, thoughts that they're just going to randomly shoot off nukes, uh, that's not very likely. You know, they're not acting crazy. Uh, they're acting dangerous. They're acting, you know, in, in, in cruel, uh, evil, if we can, but not insane. And so the chances are it's not going to be a nuclear war unless something else happens, right, unless some new development takes place. So probably... It's not going to involve U.S. troops. We probably will not be going to war over this. The economy is probably going to be terrible, but you know, uh, it's going to affect the world economy. Um, things could get worse. Uh, things could get worse if you know if China and Russia make more of uh, an agreement. But right now, this is a war in one place. We'll, we'll have a lot of information, but you know, don't don't panic. These kinds of wars have happened before. Jesus said. To his disciples, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. Just because there's a lot of fighting and conflict, that's not necessarily the end. The end is other things, specific things that Jesus talked about. And so, you know, I'm just, you know, be interested, be involved, care, but don't, you know, panic people. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the same kind of thing that's been going on for a long time. That, what you said there, wars do end. And, of course, it's going to bring me to the spiritual context of what we always talk about, the war for our souls, the wars we fight against the flesh and the spirit, the war between heaven and between uh, Satan and his minions, the war it is going to come to an end and it's going to come to victory. You know, we may lose in this fight, right. you know, uh, but Jesus right. ultimately is the victor. And that brings a lot of hope, right. too. You know, and as yep. we struggle Amen. for freedom, the Ukraine struggles for freedom, you know, I hope that in their struggle for freedom against an invader, they look for freedom in Christ. Because at the end of the day, people can't take your freedom here, but they can't take your salvation. They can't take your relationship with Christ. They can't take that away from you, you know. And no matter right. what, no matter what, Jesus does win in the end. Because there's a bigger war going on, even bigger than this, you know. <laughs> it's bigger yeah. than that, and it's for our eternal souls. And uh, we want to bring that to a hope, you know. So nothing new happens under the sun, but, you know, eventually the sun is going to win it all. You know, he'll give us a new heaven and a new earth. We right. don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. We don't have to be in despair. We don't have to sit there and just wonder, will this, this cycle of human nature, will it ever come to an end? It will. Because the war is going to be over with, you know, there are a lot of people speculating about this in the prophecy community, as I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Travis, they were saying, oh, this is Ezekiel 38, 39 war, something like that. And I'm not really into prophecy, I'm just going to put that out there right now, I'm not really into it, but right. uh, uh, but they were talking about that, and I said, regardless if it is, at the end, Jesus wins. And at the end, God is right. going to take our human nature and, and get that sin nature out of us, get sin out of us, and won't deal with this anymore. And that's hope, too. That's hope, too. And so yeah. I'm really glad that you took time out of your schedule to be with me today on the show, Travis, because uh, I really just wanted to talk about this. And uh, for our listeners and our commenters today, thank you for joining in the conversation. Uh, we get enough comments after the show. We can come back and do another part two of this, answer some more of your questions and comments. But I really appreciate you, Travis. You know I have the utmost and greatest respect for you. You're my dear friend, you and your wife. And I just want to thank you for being with me today. And I can't wait 
great to have you back and have you back real soon. Oh, thanks. My, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. And we were talking today to Major Travis Perry of the Army Reserves. We were talking about his thoughts and opinions about the Ukraine and Russia, a struggle for freedom. And I want to be quite frank that I'm glad he was there with us because some of us want to understand in some small way the context of what's going on. So Travis went through the history. He went through the pattern of behavior that Russia has. He talked about Ukraine, talked about NATO, talked about U.S. policy. We talked about a lot in this short little hour. So I hope you gleaned a lot. And as always, feel free to do your own research. Feel free to look up these things yourself and get your own opinion. If we do something or said something that you don't agree with, feel free to reach out to either of us. You can reach me on my uh, website, you can reach Travis on his at Bear Publishing. I'm sorry, bearpublications.com. You can reach out to him there, and we're more than happy to respond to your comments. The biggest thing I want us to do, though, I want us to pray. Pray for our world. Pray for the people in our world, because just because there's a war going on, there's still people killing each other that have nothing to do with war. People hurting and abusing each other have nothing to do with that. We're still wrapped up in a sin-sick world that is in desperate need of a Savior to come cure us from our condition. Jesus Christ says, I come that you may have a life and have it more abundantly. You may be in the Ukraine now, if you can hear our voice. You may be in the Ukraine now, and your home is in ruins around you. Your family may be separated. You may be hurt. Loved ones may have been destroyed. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I know that if you're in the Ukraine right now, you're struggling for freedom. But you have total freedom in Christ, something that you don't have to struggle for at all. All you have to do is submit to him and accept him as your Savior. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day, and God bless.